Good morning. My name is Danielle Holton, and I volunteer in a few different positions here at Hope. I'm one of the greeters, and I'm also a co-leader of the Tuesday Morning Women's Connection Group. If you could all please stand for today's reading. Our passage today is from John 1, verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning and grab your Bibles, your devices. We continue in our series that of the gift of the incarnation today, the gift of adoption. And so we are back in the book of first John chapter one. Now, let me tell you, we started this series together a few weeks ago and we started with the gift of the word. And then Nathan last week, who did a fantastic job talk to us about the gift of life and light, and today the gift of adoption. The next next Sunday, or next Saturday morning, boy, so it's hard when you get in rhythm, right? Yet you forget, right? So erase what I just said, next Saturday morning, 10 a.m. only, then that is grace upon grace, the gift of grace upon grace. And so when you read John chapter 1, we talked about this from the beginning, that it is It is a book, the book itself, the Gospel of John, is a book where John chooses to not take us through the elements of the Advent story. But what we realize as we've been studying through John chapter 1, that it is the Advent story in a very powerful way without recounting all of the historical aspects that we find in the Synoptic Gospels. And so what we realize is that John chapter 1, if you're going to look for This, this is Jesus's resume. This is kind of what this is. I think that's an important thing for us to understand as we start this teaching out together that this is Jesus's resume. Because what John chooses to do in the gospel is he chooses to focus much more upon who Jesus is than what Jesus does. And so Advent is really about who Jesus is. That is the important question of our life. If you could sum all the questions that you have in life up in one, it is simply this, who really is Jesus? I think that is the big question. And so what John begins to do in John chapter 1, he begins to answer that question for you and I. So it is an important question for us that we wanted to go through these four weeks with you and simply lay this out that you will have a greater understanding of who Christ is. So let's jump right into our teaching this morning and get going. And so it's John chapter 1, verse 9, and it says, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, John says, that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And when I first read these couple of verses, I thought it very strange that, that, that how could it be that God came into the same world he created to the same individuals that he made in his own image, 
yet the world did not know him. And I thought, why does John simply point out something to you and I that seems so obvious, right? I mean, we have heard this before. It seems so obvious. Then why does John take, take this moment, and if we call this the resume of Jesus, then why does he take this moment to go through these words with us? And I'm going to tell you why, because this is the very depth. This is the deepest part of the brokenness of humanity. In fact, when he talks and uses these words, it's even deeper, I think, than our sinful actions. And that is our rejection of God as his creation. It is the lowest that we go in our sinful nature as humanity is what it is. And I thought, well, it's like when Jesus comes into the world, it's like this healthy person that would walk into a room of sick people and they would see this person as being odd or threatening or humiliating, that they saw Christ that way. And what I understand about the rejection of God is what has always plagued you and I. See, that our sins were forgiven on the cross through the redemptive act of, act of Christ, but it is our rejection of, of God. It is perhaps the lowest that we can go in life that you and I at times still reject his voice. We reject who he is. That's why John writes these words to you and I. Even in the garden with our father Adam and our mother Eve, it was a rejection of who God was and that God was faithful enough to provide for Adam and Eve. And so they said, no, we reject that truth and we are going to provide for ourselves because we know better than God because we distrust God. So it's always been our brokenness in this area of our rejection of God. Our sins are forgiven. They are covered by the work of the cross. It is our rejection of God that John deals with. So how do we miss, how do we miss the true light? How is that possible to miss the true light, the light to everyone? How is that absolutely possible? And, and I begin to think of that, and it's because this. Because when I think the light shines in darkness, the darkness always resents light, is what it is. Why does the darkness resent light? Because it's light that exposes how dark the darkness is. And so when Christ came into the world, the world resented him because him being light, he simply reminded the world of how dark they were. And so I thought, well, John uses some very interesting words in these first couple of verses. He said they did not know him. And I thought, so what does that mean? If I know God, if, if I just know him, I have some knowledge of God, is that enough? Is that what it's saying? If that's enough for me to just have some knowledge of God, then I correct all of this that John is writing about. But when I looked at these words, a better translation of they did not know him is that they did not come to him is a better translation of those words. It's about an experience with God, a relationship with Jesus that you and I are called to. Not just a theological understanding, but it's a relationship with God. It is. Reba and I have been married for 43 years. Is that correct? 
Yes, okay. I always have to ask, right? 43. It just, it just seems like it's been like three. It's so wonderful, right? So 43 years, and those are points. Those are points. Remember, guys, all points are, are, are they evaporate at midnight, so you got to, you know, cash them in, right? And whatever that means, you just go with that, okay? And, and so that, that for, it, we would have never lasted 43 years without a relationship. It would have been based on just knowledge if I just knew things about her and if I just like, you know, knew when her birthday was and made sure I didn't forget that. I only done that one time in my life and I will never do that again. Truly, it is not a place you ever want to go in your entire life. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. The pain is still pretty raw and that's been 20 years ago. So here's the thing, right? And, and, and so without a relationship, then we would have never made it through 43 years. So how do you expect to make this walk with Christ and make it a meaningful walk? And you grow in your walk with Christ if you don't have a relationship, if it's just based upon knowledge. And so what we realize that John is teaching us here, he's saying that they did not come to him. They did not experience him. They did not have a relationship with him. When Jesus came in the world, they looked at him and they looked at him as being very odd. Why? Because he was obsessed. He was obsessed with God. He had this radical God focus and they saw it to be very irrelevant to a world that was focused on business and politics and practical needs. He was always insistent about being holy and so they thought that he was very prudish. He loved the poor, which was impractical for their lifestyles and wasteful as they saw it. His grace was far too extreme. His demands were far too fanatical. So John says, to know him is to have a relationship with him. And then he said that they did not receive him. They did not know him. They did not receive him. And I thought, well, what does that mean? What is John saying to us, and even a better translation of that statement is to receive the face of Jesus. To receive the face of Jesus. Now, well, what, what is he saying? That John again refocuses on who he is and not just what he does. It's a powerful thought. It's where our relationships begin, is what it is. And so John is writing to both groups that of Jews and Gentiles, those that understand God and those that have a very very shallow understanding of God. And, and he says, you know, he looks at this and he says, wait a minute, it's far more than just knowledge. It's far more than you and I just knowing about God. This has to be an experience with God. And to receive him is far more than just being religious, far more than a knowledge, but yet we have to understand who he is and experience who he is in our life. And so I wrote in my notes today that that really brings me to the point of him being the Lord of my life. To be the Lord of my life. John says he came to his own. That he is the creator. So he is the rightful owner of all of us in this room. Every one of us. He is the rightful owner of everyone in this room. Yet we scorned our rightful owner. Why? Because we didn't want him. We did not want a Lord. We wanted to be Lord ourselves. 
And you say, Mark, I'm so glad we're not like that any longer. Wait a minute. Look in the mirror. We are like that, aren't we? Absolutely, we are. That they didn't, they did not want a Lord. They wanted to be Lord themselves. And so they thought that somehow they could commandeer creation without that of, of any thought of the Creator. And when Christ insisted that he be Lord of their lives, they crucified him. You see, it was okay as long as he was benevolent, right? It was okay as long as he was feeding those people who were hungry. It was okay as long as he was healing people and doing those kinds of things. But when he insisted that he be the Lord of their life because he was the creator of them and he was the rightful owner of them, that is when they crucified him. And you say, Mark, but I would never have had the thought of crucifying Jesus. I would not. No, I think we can only say that because we have you know, we, have, we haven't been pushed to the reality of what it is to make him as Lord of our life. Because when our will collides with God's will, only one of those wills can win out. And that's John's point. That a knowing and receiving changes who we are. I think about the shepherds in the field watching their flock by night. And an angel appears to them. An angel tells them about the coming of the Christ and where they're to find him. And then the angel says to them, he says to them this, these powerful words that's, that you will find him is what he says to them. That you will find him. That it's more than knowledge But you have to come to him and experience him is what they're saying. It's a realization of who he is. And when the shepherds find the Christ child, does it change the way the world sees shepherds? It does not change that at all. Does it even make the world a better place? It did not. Does it, did it make the world a more peaceful, less violent place? It did not do that at all. But what it did is it changed them. And that's really the message of Advent, is about changing you and I, is what it's about. It's about a change and a transformation within our heart. So how do you see Christ today? How do you see him? Maybe you see him as this mythical uh, figure, this somehow religious fairy tale, and he's not a real person. Or maybe you see him as the tweetable Jesus, right? You know, the tweetable Jesus who feels exactly the same way you do about all your political views and all your social issues, so you use Jesus as a weapon on social media. I will not ask for a raising of hands, okay? We will just pass right over that. Or maybe you see him as the genie Jesus, right, who shows up and somehow provides the, uh, these uh, moments where he grants you wishes to Pursue your own agenda in life. Or you see him as the precious moments Jesus. Who makes some kind of cameo appearance in your life at Christmas or Easter. Or at a funeral at some point in your life. Or you see him as a fire insurance Jesus. With whom you arrange a deal to ensure your entry into heaven. Is it possible for you and I to have a misconception of who he is? Is that absolutely possible? Is it possible that you have 
gone to church for a very long time and you still have a misconception of who he is. Because if we really have an understanding of who he is, if we know him and we have received him, should not that translate into some kind of transformation within our life? And that transformation is is visible by the way we act in this world. Mark, this does not sound like an Advent sermon. But we chose a book of the Bible, a gospel to preach from during this Advent time who does not recount all those historical moments for us. But it does tell us about who Jesus is. And what John says is this, before you get to verse 12 and 13, before you get to these verses that call you a child of God, you must have an understanding of who Christ is because that understanding of Christ and coming to him is transformational in your life. And that truly causes you to become a child of God. So let me read on in this chapter. It says this in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He uses the word right. Don't get the word right somehow confused with entitlement. That is not what he's saying at all. It is God gave. God gave by grace the power and authority for you and I to become children of God who were Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what this is, this is adoption. Paul writes a lot about adoption. Because adoption was very prevalent in Roman society. John writes about it here, very much, I think, connecting with the Apostle Paul as well. And so in the Roman culture, adoption was very prevalent. I want to give you a cultural context because I think it's so powerful that John would start here with you and I about what it means to be a child of God. So adoption during this time for context was when a wealthy man has no heir for his estate and he would adopt someone as an heir for his estate. And the moment that adoption was legal, there were things that immediately took place in the life of the adopted child. Four things I found in my study, and they excite me. They really do. You say, Mark, you geek out over the strangest things. No, listen to these things. They're in your notes. They're on the screen. They're they're amazingly exciting. So here's the four things that happen if you were adopted by someone that didn't have an heir. The first is this that the adoptee's old debts and legal obligations are paid by the person that adopts them. Oh, this is a powerful thought. You can see the parallels here, that the adoptee receives a new name. Instantly, they become an heir to all the father has. There is no waiting period for the child that is adopted. They immediately become an heir to everything the father owns. Do you see why John would simply take a moment to talk about this to you and I? The adopting father becomes instantly liable for all of the actions of the child. The father, the adopting father, shoulders all debt, all crimes, all the past of the child that they adopt, and they carry it all. 
And the fourth is the adoptee now has a new obligation to honor and please the father. And when I looked at all of these things, what I realized is, isn't this what God did for us through his son, Jesus? That's exactly what he's done. That John takes this moment in the middle of it, we call it Jesus' resume, to say, here, this is what he has done for you. The Father did this for you and I through his Son, Christ. And that is the powerful story of Advent. All of this lies right under the surface of what John is saying to you and I as it regards to this relationship of the Father and his children. This is something that you have to see. This is not an option. If you are going to say that you are a child of God today, then you have to see this. You have to grasp this, that you are not a child of By blood. You were not born into this family. You were born into sin. You were born as an outsider. Thanks to your father Adam and your mother Eve. That you and I were not born into this family by blood. Nor were we born to this family by will at all. It was not anything that we could do to ever deserve it. It was not our ability uh, through our humanity. Nothing. This work This work in our life is a pure, divine work of the Father through the Son, and that is Advent. That's why John chapter 1 is the perfect chapter to preach from this time of year and teach from, because it's flawless when it comes to this story about Advent. Oh, i got to go on, because this gets better. And so I look through John... And I come across John chapter 17 and verse 6. Let me read this because this is a prayer that Jesus prays for you to the Father. But listen to these words. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He's praying to his Father. Yours they were and you gave them to me. Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Verse 7 Now they know that everything that you have given me is from God, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world or the spirit of the world is what he's saying, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. But listen to what he says in verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I thought, oh, this is so powerful. It goes exactly along with what we're talking about in John chapter 1. This is who you are. If you've ever wondered who you are, this is absolutely who you are. That you are gifted to the Son by the Father. Then you are presented back to the Father, clothed in the righteousness of the Son. This is what God has done for you through Jesus he re-Edenized you. You say, Mark, is that even a word? I think it actually is. That he re-Edenized you. He restored you back to the position with the Father that you were intended from the very beginning of time in the book of Genesis before the initial sin of Adam and Eve. That was always God's intention. He recreates you. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. I think you have to kind of let that set in for a moment. I call it 
marinating, right? You got to marinate in it for just a minute. Let me go a little more on this thought that we're gifted to the Son through the incarnation. Then through his life, death, and resurrection, we are covered in his righteousness, justified like we have never sinned, presented back to the Father for adoption, clothed in the perfection of his Son, that we were once orphans, but we are orphans no more. Our our identity is not a former orphan, but our identity today is that we are sons and daughters as you would never present someone that you have adopted as your child. You would never present them to your friends as a former orphan orphan. God never does that to you and I. Why? Because we are sons and daughters, full rights with God, heirs of everything that God has for you and I. That is our identity. That's who we are. Yet some of us in this room, I think, insist on living somehow like we think that God has orphaned us. That God has abandoned us or forgotten us. That God is not for us, but God is absolutely against us at times in life. And what John painstakingly does throughout this text is he confronts that lie with this truth that you are a son and you are a daughter of God. Amen. You are. And if God were to introduce you to anyone which he does in scripture and which he did here with his father in John chapter 17, he introduces you as his son or his daughter. Wow. I have to sit in that for a moment. It's so powerful. So I begin to poke around through the gospel of John and I came across John chapter 14 And I want to finish our teaching this morning in John chapter 14 with you. It says in verse 18, it says that I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before his arrest and his crucifixion. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you talking to believers will see me because I live you also will live. And what this is, I take a moment to explain this. This is a work of the Holy Spirit within our life through the life and death and the resurrection of Christ that he takes us out of what would be a cosmic orphanage and he brings us into the family of God. And he says in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Being adopted into the family of God becomes an identity marker that nothing can take from you. Understand that. It becomes an identity marker in life that nothing can take that from you. Here's what the writer is saying. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's a divine work of the Holy Spirit in our life that I will come to you. The Holy Spirit, yes, works in our hearts and our lives to open our spiritual eyes, our minds to God. It draws us to God. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He convicts us. It illuminates the word of God. It empowers us to be witnesses in this world. But what I find here is another work of the Holy Spirit, that he is the presence and the power within our lives, that he is the very agent of adoption in our lives. That the Father sees us in love. 
But something has to be done by the condition that the Father finds us in. And in great love and grace, he sends his Son who gives himself freely. And then he ascends back to the Father. Yet he says to us, he will not orphan us. He will not leave us alone. He sends the Holy Spirit to draw us and to bring greater understanding in our life of who we are as well. That he is the presence and the power of God in our life. That is an identity marker that nothing in this world can take from you. Nothing. So I thought about this. I'm already established the fact that Reba and I have been married for 43 years. I've established that. You know, I'm hoping for a, you know, a minimum of 75, right? And uh, I don't know. Can, do you have enough grace to put up with me for that long? I'm not sure. I do the math and you, you're doing the math because you're an accountant. I can tell. I know you. I, I can see behind your eyes. You're figuring out how old will that old codger be when I've been married to him that many more years, right? Yes. But here's the thing. I, I, I really like you. In fact, I love you. I, I really do a great deal. I hope you feel the same. I think you do because you tend to show up every night back at home. But, uh, but what I realize is that there's a lot of things about you I don't control and I can't control. I understand that. And I can't control the broken world around you as well. And so there could be that day when my place as your husband changes. That, that, that could change. I don't know if that, if that could be. And, and that could happen by, you know, I'm not going anywhere. So I'm not like, you know, announcing anything right now. But, you know, that, that, that could change. I'm the father of three amazing sons. I love them so greatly. I would lay my life down for them at, at any moment. But I can't control the broken world that's around them. And I can't protect them from everything. And so my identity with them could change. I've been the lead pastor here since, since we started, you know, 15 years ago. But what I realized that that could change. That could go away as well. Because I'm not, I'm not all-powerful and I'm not all-knowing and I'm not omnipresent. I'm not. But what I realize about this when I read the words of John is that being adopted into the household of faith means that I have this one thing that the world cannot touch. You can't touch this. And those are not MC Hammer's words either, right? Remember Hammer Pants? You guys, anybody ever wear them in the room? Oh, you did? Oh, I wouldn't even raise my hand and admit that. I really wouldn't. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, moving on, right? Moving on. Yeah. Uh, That I'm a son of God. And that no matter... No matter what happens in this broken world, that does not change. That I'm loved by God. I'm provided for. I have been redeemed and ransomed by God. I understand that that more than that, God knew that in a world that's always fluid around us, there had to be at least one constant for our lives. And that one constant is that you and I have been adopted into the family of God that we were given to Jesus by the Father, and then the Jesus came and He redeemed you and I through His work on this earth, and then He rose again, went back, and He presented us back to the Father, and now the Father can look at you and I in, in full transparency because we're covered in that of the righteousness and the perfection of His Son. So nothing can ever change that. Nothing. 
So knowing that, then why do you hold back from a God that's willing to do that for you? Why do you hold back your trust for him? Why do you hold back your obedience for him? Mark, you were doing really good until you got to this part, right? Let's go back to the the hammer pants. No, let's talk about this for a moment. Why do you hold back in your obedience to him? When God says to you, hey, you need to spend some time with me, that I I, I want to, to have some intimate moments with you. I want to spend some moments with you. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to do those things. I want you to share your faith with others. I want, why do you hold back from a God that held nothing back from you? That he made sure that this was your primary identifying marker. And out of that does flow who you are. And how you operate in this world. And how you perceive the happenings around you. It's how you love and how you care for your neighbor. It's how you trust. It's how you pursue God in light of who you are. That you are ransomed from being a spiritual orphan. So stop living like one. And trust God. And trust Him. So here's what John continues to say for us in verse 21. And I think it's really interesting that this is where he goes after he tells you and I that we're adopted as his sons and daughters. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest or show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And and I underline this part and will come to him and make our home with him. Now, first of all, your mind immediately goes to heaven. I will read the next verse in a moment. But I want you to keep your mind in the present for a moment because there is a very present aspect to that statement. We will come to him and make our home with him. And it says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So I got hung up on this statement of we make our home with him. What does that fully mean? What is John saying to us? What is Christ saying to you? Because what I remember that as we read those four aspects of adoption culturally during this time, that the very last one was an obligation to honor and please the father. So how could John talk about adoption as children of God without talking to you and I about obedience in our life? Wow. Because what we have to realize that just as a human relationship between a father and a son or a father and daughter, you know, brings into play obedience, so does it here as well. It does. 
And what I realize is that my biblical obedience and what John has laid out prior to getting to this point is based and driven on love. Understand that. Biblical obedience is driven by love. That's why John lays out the groundwork about what the Father has done through us through his son Jesus because it's built on love. So biblical obedience is driven by love. We're not obedient to be loved. Understand that. But we're loved and accepted and we understand that we're loved and that love is what drives my obedience for Christ. So the primary driver of my Christian life is not discipline. It's not. There's a place for discipline in my life, for sure. But the primary driver for my Christian life is love and delight. I'm not saying that there's no place in that of discipline and sacrifice in your life. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I would argue to say that the higher the love rate in your life for God, the greater capacity there is for discipline and self-sacrifice when it comes to your walk with Christ. The more you love him, the more you're willing to give up for the kingdom. Because the more you love something, the more disciplined you'll be toward what you love. So, I kind of pull it all together here at the end with an illustration for you this morning. Because this all centers around family. So how does family work? So, Mark, if you came to my house, you would see, right? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, a, you know, it's like the, the WWF at my house, right? Kind of deal, right? And, and so, no, let me tell you how family works, right? And sometimes it is. Let's be honest, it is, yes. So you ask your child to vacuum the house. Some of you have been wondering why the shark is laying up here, right? Well, now, now you know, right? Yes. So you ask your child to vacuum the house. You hear the vacuum running for 45 seconds, and then it goes off, and you don't hear it again. So you call to your child. No, you yell at your child, right? Now, let's just say it what it is. You call to your child and say, hey, did you vacuum the whole house? Yes, I vacuumed the whole house. What do you know about your child right then? <laughs> They're a liar. Oh, well, okay. There you go. Well, you know that. Superman could not even vacuum the house in 45 seconds, right? Batman probably could, but Superman could not. So Superman could not. So you know, you know already, as a parent, you know. So what do you do? What do you do with your child? You say, hey, let's walk around the house and make sure you got everything cleaned up. But you know that they did not vacuum the whole house. And so you walk to a corner of the house and you notice that in the corner looks like someone has opened a package of goldfish and, oh my gosh, these are, are these childproof? All right. This is interesting. Give me a moment, okay? Y'all talk amongst yourselves when I try to open the goldfish here. Oh, 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 here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, let's see. Oh, you gotta use your teeth. Oh, is that what those things are for in your face? I didn't realize that. Yes. Thank you, Matthew. Matthew, I knew I had you here for some reason. After seven years, it's now evident, right? Yes, no, I'm just kidding with you, you know that. 
And so you find in the corner of a room that somebody has just like they poured out a package of goldfish and then it's like they, they dance on them, right? Yes. Now I know for some of you that are obsessive compulsive, that just freaks you out, doesn't it? Yes. And it's driving me kind of nuts right now. Yes, it is. Because most of you know that I am that way, right? <laughs> and I'll try to look away from this for a while. And so you take your child around and you say, what is this? And, and what does your child say to you? What do they say? I didn't see that. Right? Really? And the second thing they say is what? That's not mine. But wait a minute. You're an only child. Who did this, right? Yes. Yes. And what you say is this, you know, let's get the vacuum and you clean this up. And I thought about this a lot, right? As this relates to what John is teaching us about obedience and how this relates to that of Christ and coming to him and receiving him as well. And what I, what I realize is that when God says that we make our home with him, that it's not that our house is clean, but it's our love for God and our desire for our house to be clean is what he's speaking to us about. And so when he came to the world, the world rejected him. Why? Because they didn't want him in the corners of their house to see their mess. Because that's what it means to be Lord. So Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry. I'm going to send you one because I would not leave you to be orphans. But I would send you the Holy Spirit. And he says to them that we make our home together is what he's saying. And so the Holy Spirit comes to you and I in our lives as we're walking this journey out, and he comes to us and he says, hey, did you vacuum the whole house? Because he's living with us now, right? And what do you say? Yeah, I vacuumed everything. And then the Holy Spirit says, can I walk around with you just to make sure everything is good, right? And he takes you by the hand and he lovingly walks you through your house and he comes up on this corner And he says, what's that? And your response is, well, I have no idea what that is, right? Yeah. It's not mine. And the Holy Spirit says to you, but wait a minute, there's only two of us that's living in this house, right? And I didn't do it. But the point is not who did it, he would say to you. The point is, let's clean this up together. You see, I'm going to clean this up in a minute, but here's the point. Saying you're a child of God and being a child of God is more than just a title. It's an understanding that you have someone living in the house with you. And you're not orphaned. And that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes you to the corners of your life and he says, what is this? And you deny it. And he doesn't 
judge you and he doesn't try to just place blame on you, but he says to you, hey, let's clean this up because this, what, this is what it means for him to be Lord of your life. Because this is why they crucified him. And so the Holy Spirit says, let's, let's clean this up together. And you think, Mark, that will never get this mess up. Don't be so negative. Right? Maybe we need a, a bigger vacuum cleaner is perhaps what we need, right? And so we have a backup. Here we go. Now, this is more like the Holy Spirit that I need in my life. Correct? Yes. Yeah. And so he cleans up all the mess of our life as we surrender those moments to him. I love vacuuming. How many of you love vacuuming? Isn't it great? Isn't it a moment? Some of you are like, you're weird, right? No, I really do that because it's, such, it's so fulfilling. It really is. You say, Mark, you're preaching. You're not vacuuming. Stop. I know. I got to get. So, I, thank you. I missed a spot. I knew someone would say that. I really did. I, I actually did. So, my thought for you today is what is said to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. See, I find myself poking around all through Rome, uh, all through you know John, then it leads me to Romans, and it says, "For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God." That if you are led by the Spirit, you are a son of God. And and I read that three or four times, and what I realize is that it's more than just me saying here on Advent that I'm a child of God. It's me submitting to being led by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit taking me through the corners of my house and finding all the junk of my life and saying to me, let's clean this up together. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit, capital S, of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word for child that he uses there is the Greek word tekna. And the Greek word tekna simply refers to a small child that lives in his father's household. It's the brush in which Paul paints this. It's the brush in which also John paints this picture for you. That I'm a child of God, adopted by the Father because of the work of the Son. That I've made my home in Him, so today I let Him lead me into the corners of my life. And I don't fear Him. I'm not afraid of His judgment. But if I'm continually saying that I'm his son or his daughter, then how can I keep him out of these places of my life? Because for some of us, the, the goldfish in the corner is fear, and for some of you, it's doubt. 
For some of you in this room, it's an addiction. For some of you, it's pornography, lust. For some of you, it's hatred and envy. For some, it's just this feeling of distrust that you have for God because you've been hurt. God has not performed the way you thought that he should perform. And so you've taken things into your own hands. For some of you, it's the the junk in the corner of your life is guilt and shame for something that you have done, yet God forgave you long ago. You just cannot forgive yourself. For some of you, it's your self-image. How could God love me? Look at me. Can you today take a risk to trust a God who would gift you to his only son in order that his son may die for you when you couldn't even be looked on by him as father and then his son gifts you back to him so that he can now look upon you as he did before the initial sin in the garden. Could you allow that Father who sent you the Holy Spirit so you would not be orphaned in this world to walk into the corners of your life? to see all of your mess and for you to say to him, can you help me clean this up? And he does. Advent is a wonderful time of season together. But if you don't let Jesus into the corners of your house to clean up the mess of your life, then it's just a season only. And today is a moment for you as a child of God. So would you bow your heads with me for a moment and allow me to pray for you and pray with you Father, thank you for sending your son. Lord, that you gifted us to him so that he could redeem us and gift us back to you. To restore us, to recreate to bring us back to the place that we were before the initial sin. 
But God, part of being your child is our relationship with you in the area of obedience. So Lord, let this be a day that we allow the Holy Spirit into the corners of our house, to those places that are a mess, to those situations that either we have created or we have been victimized. But God, we've kept you out of those areas. But in essence, you've been there all the time. But God, may we invite you into those places of our life today. Holy Spirit, do the work in our hearts and lives that only you can do. Let this be a day of change for us. So today we surrender those spots and places of our life. God, we give them to you. Lord, we have chose to give them to you today because you've made your home with us. Thank you, Lord. By the power of your spirit, do a powerful, powerful work in this room. So for a moment with your, just with your heads bowed and you're just being very reverent to God as he speaks to you, I want to ask you a question. That, how many of you in this room, in just a minute, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand for a moment, not to get up, stand up, come forward, anything. But you have a corner in your house is like this. Whatever it is, maybe it's one of those things, that long list I went through, or it's something that you know of that today you need to submit that to the Holy Spirit and allow him to help you clean up the mess today. So if you have that kind of place in that corner of your life, would you just for a moment just put your hand up? Just put your hand up, yes. Amen, amen. So Father, these are your children. And I pray for them today. Powerful, powerful name of Jesus, your son. That as they have made their home with you, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, would, they would submit these areas of their life to you today. And they would begin that journey of you cleaning up those moments. Father, they would commit this to prayer. They would commit this to searching through Scripture. They would share this, God, with someone that is close to them for accountability. But, Lord, they would get this out. And, God, we know that you will set them free today and deliver them in Jesus' name. We thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Would you stand with us for a moment of worship before we leave today, please?
Thanks for joining us today and spending this time with us. Before you leave, would you take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or go on Facebook and comment there so that more people have the opportunity to hear this message. Also, if you'd like to further engage, go to our website at hopeandanderson.com and subscribe to our newsletter as well. 
We'd love to see you on campus sometime. Our services are at 9 and 11 a.m. And we would love to have you here in person. So again, thanks for your time and have a great day.